Good morning. How is everybody today? How is everybody today? Okay, I'm going to preach on tithing again, so I brought this to... How many of you know what this is? A football helmet. Someone in the early service said a watermelon. Do watermelons have face masks? Not normally. I love football. My brother's a football coach. My dad coached a little bit. I was going to be a football coach uh, before I became a preacher. Someone after the first service said, you probably should have been a coach. I don't really think that was a compliment, but so I shouldn't have been preaching these last 30 years. But on a football helmet, we have a, we tried to get a, an NFL helmet. We were going to get a Cowboys helmet, but they're considered a minor league team, so they didn't come up with a, the, uh, my daughter's not paying attention. She's a big Cowboys fan. On football helmets, there is a warning on the back of the helmets. Did y'all know that? You, obviously, you can't see it or read it, but the warning, and it, it's very long, but I'm just going to read to you part of it. <clears throat> no helmet can prevent serious head or neck injury a player might receive while participating in football. And then it has, you need medical clearance, concussions, possibilities still with this on. And the warning label is, uh, the, the, the word warning is really uh, pronounced there. And I think that's smart. I think that's probably legally smart for the people who make helmets. I love football, and I would tell you that uh, if your boy, you got a girl who's a ruffian, wants to play football, I would say let them play. It's one of the greatest sports that there is. But I think it's important that you you know the you understand the warning, don't you? Do you agree that that's that's probably important? Um, we're in Luke chapter 6 this morning, and Jesus gives a warning about Christianity. Jesus lays out and gives us a warning about the Christian faith that we need to know. Luke chapter 6, Jesus never tries to hide the cards. He never deals from the bottom of the deck. Here's the first thing Jesus tells us this morning. Real Christians are going to be persecuted. Warning, (laughs) flashing lights. If you're a real, and that's the key word there, if you are a true follower of Christ who's really living for Christ, there's going to be a price to it to some degree. Let me lay out in these two or three verses all that it says, and it says a lot, I'm going to go through this fairly quickly. But what does he say about our persecution? Number one, he says, we're going to be hated. Don't you like that in verse 22? Blessed are you when people hate you. Jesus is upside down, isn't he? Hey, happy are you when people hate you. Jesus, we don't like to hear that. And when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man. What does it mean to be hated? It means exactly what you think. The word means to love less or it means to detest. It means to hate. Normally, this biblical word hate is tied in with persecution. Jesus said, hey, here's a warning. If you're going to really follow me, not just go to church occasionally, say you're a Christian, check it on the box, I'm a Christian. If you're going to really follow me, some people are going to hate you. They're going to hate you because they're going to hate you for one reason, because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing he says, you'll be excluded. Verse 22, 
Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you. The word exclude literally means to make a distinction, but it's to make a distinction to make a decision. When you exclude someone, you are separating them or you're casting them out. Now, listen to me. 2,000 years ago, this idea really hit home to the Jewish people because to be excluded by, to them it meant the synagogue. The synagogue, to, to help you understand, is their version of the local church. The temple was the national place of worship. The synagogue was the local place of worship. For a Jewish person, especially in a small community, the synagogue is where you went for social activity, family activity, cultural activity, religious activity. And for Jesus to say to those people, those Jewish people, when you follow me, you may be cast out of your synagogue Man, that was to lose contact with your family and with everything that was near and dear to you. What does it mean for you and me to be excluded? T.S. Eliot is one of the great poets of the 20th century. In 1927, T.S. Eliot became a Christian and he was baptized. At the time when he became a Christian, he was a member of London's uh, intelligent an atheist club. Now, I think those are kind of oxymorons to put them together, but it was called the Intelligent Atheist Club. He was a member of that. And when he became a Christian, the author, writer, Virginia Woolf, sent out a letter to the members of the INA and said, our dear Tom has made a terrible decision. He succumbed to religion. He says he's a follower of the Jesus person now. Listen to what she said. Tom... Tom is now dead to us. A corpse has more credibility than Tom has with us now. In 2007, the Institute for Jewish and Community Research surveyed and studied universities here in America for several years. Basically, what they were looking for was anti-Semitism, anti-Jewish biasness in the university. This is a Jewish group, not a Christian group. They came back, and here's what they said. They said, there is more bias against evangelical, Bible-believing, conservative Christians in universities today than there is against African Americans, against Jewish people, or against other groups. More bias against evangelical Christians in universities today. What does it mean to be excluded? may affect you in the university. It, it'll mean you won't get invited to the parties. It may mean you're not, you don't get the promotion. It, it may mean you're not a part of the in group or the cool group. But what Jesus said, he said, listen, I'm, I'm laying it out. I want to be honest with you. When you follow me, you're going to be persecuted to some degree. Number three, he said, you'll be reviled. You'll be cursed. And verse 22, they exclude you and revile you. What is revile? It means to defame or to taunt or to slander. The Bible translates in the message says it well. It says, they will smear your name when you follow me. Bill Maher, do you know who Bill Maher is? He's a, a TV personality and he is... A, He's really anti-Christ, anti-Christian, anti-religion. And he said this several years ago. He was talking about all religion. He says, all religions need to die. <laughs> they need to die. Religions need to die. And I'm paraphrasing him because it was a long article. He said, basically, religious people are idiots and they're backwards. They're superstitious. For modern world to go on, religion needs to die. Wow. Even if people don't tell you that, they're going to say because you follow Christ, you're a hater, you're judgmental, you're a bigot. Expect that. That's what Jesus said. Here's the fourth thing. He said they're going to reject you as evil. Look what he says. They will exclude you, revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. 
In the Bible, when it talks about your name, oftentimes it's talking about your character, who you are. And the word evil means malicious or wicked. Wow, this is unbelievable. Jesus is saying, because you follow Jesus, some people are going to, uh, they're going to cast doubt on your character and on your reputation and your name and say you're evil. Man, that's incredible. But he, and here's the last part of this. Jesus says that you may suffer torture and even death for following me. In John chapter 16, verse 1 through 4, Jesus lays the warning label out on us. I've said all these things to keep you from falling away. Jesus says, I want you to stay true to me. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to put to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you earlier from the beginning. Now Jesus is fixing to die and he's going to rise again and leave them. He wanted them to know. Folks, in the 20th century, last century, more Christians were killed for the faith in that 100-year period than were killed in the 1900 years previous combined. Did you hear that? Last century, more Christians were killed for their faith in that one century than all the other 19 centuries combined. These statistics are hard because you're not going to, I mean, you you don't like call somebody in a country and say, how many Christians did y'all kill last year? Oh, we killed 72. You know, it's hard to get some of these. But the best statistics say that last year, about 100,000 people in our world were murdered because they followed Jesus Christ. The best estimates are this year, that, that around 100 million people, 100 million people will suffer persecution. That could be torture or death. That could be slander. That could be losing their jobs. That could be uh, all kinds of things. But will suffer persecution for following Jesus Christ. Wow. Are y'all ready for me to stop? <laughs> it does get better, so stay with me. But Jesus lays the warning label out. When you follow me, here's the truth. Now, here's a question that's really important. Here's a question I've tried to digest in the last few years as I've watched our country become more hostile to Christians. Why is this true? Let me give you several reasons. You know, a true Christian, now that's important. A true Christian is somebody who loves people, who's kind, who's helpful, who's a servant, who is pure. Why in the world... Would you want to persecute someone like that when there's so many jerks out there that are just good targets, right? Why would you want to persecute? Let me give you a few reasons. One is that we, we have a sworn enemy, and we're a sworn enemy of the devil, of Satan. Yes, the devil's real. Satan's real. Satan was a fallen angel who rebelled against God. He lost the rebellion. Satan hates people, and he hates Christians more than any people. In John 8, 44, listen to how Jesus describes him. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. Yeah, he's telling these people, religious people, you, you, your will is to do the, the devil's will. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he has nothing to do with truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Listen, the one who wants to destroy Christians more than anybody else is Satan. 
The Bible says he is a liar. He is the father of lies. He is a murderer. He will do anything and everything he can to destroy and disrupt your life and my life. That's one reason we suffer persecution. Here's the second reason. True Christians hold to some clear and objective truths. What do I mean by a clear and objective truth? Two plus two equal what? Really? We're in a college town? Two plus two equal what? Four. Okay, parents, listen to me. I got some parental advice for you. If your kid is going to a school where that's up to debate, move them immediately. Two plus two will always equal four. That is objective truth. A Christian, someone who is truly going to follow Christ, holds to some objective truths, some things that we say are right and some things that are wrong. Now, I want you please to stay with me for the next few minutes. I may say some things that are going to irritate you, but I think I will soothe them over in a moment if I do irritate you. But I'm telling you the truth. John 14, 6 is an objective truth. It says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Folks, what that says, that says whether you're a Baptist, a Catholic, a Methodist, you're Jewish, you're Presbyterian, nobody is going to heaven except through Jesus Christ. I love what Billy Graham said. Billy Graham says that. People get mad at it. He says, don't get mad at me. Get mad at Jesus. He's the one that said it. Dude, y'all are struggling with me this morning. That was funny. Uh, In other words, blame Jesus for what he said. Several years ago, our church took a mission trip to New York City. And Cindy and I and Amy Barr were on a a corner in Manhattan. And Manhattan is a little different than Ruston. And and we're on a Tuesday morning. We're handing out uh, candy bars or some kind of breakfast food. My goal was give one, eat one, give one, eat one, give one, eat one. And and we were giving out tracts and inviting people to church. And some wouldn't take them, most did. One guy took it and he came back, man, and he was hot. He was a Jewish person. And he went to Cindy and uh, to Amy. I tried to run, but they got me. And, and he was like, how dare you guys bring this? And, you know, you're offending me, da-da-da. So he and I began to talk. Long story short, he was a psychiatrist. I need lots of psychiatric help, so we bonded. This guy and I became friends. We emailed two or three times a week for seven or eight years. We talked on the phone occasionally. He was a devout Jew. He told me one time, he said, and he was angry, he said, Chris, you hate me. I said, no, I don't hate you. Why do you, you, you believe that I'm going to hell without Jesus Christ. You hate me. I said, that is absolutely not the truth. I love you. I believe everybody needs Jesus Christ. I'm just trying to help you find him. I'm not, I'm telling you that out of love, not of hate. But listen, when you hold to objective truths, that offends people. If you don't, you know how you cannot offend people? Stand for nothing. Stand for nothing. But that's not what real Christianity is. No, again, I want you to stay with me after I say what I'm fixing to say. For 2,000 years, Orthodox mainstream Christianity has held to what this book says about some sexual sins. Adultery is sin. What's adultery by definition? Adultery is a married person having sex with someone who's not their spouse. Well, everybody does it. It's a sin. It's a sin. We want to kick people who do sins we won't do. It's a sin. What's fornication is a sin. What's fornication? 
Fornication is people who aren't married having sex. That is S-I-N. Bible said that. We believe that. That's what we've lost. Some of these things have become more subjective in the last few years. Listen, the Bible hadn't changed. Homosexuality, it's a sin. Some churches are debating it. Some religious groups are debating it. Now, I want you to hear me. Adultery is just as much a sin. But when you hold to those truths in love and kindness, that offends people. People don't want to hear that. But that's the truth. Why do people persecute Christians? Real Christianity holds to some truths. They stand firm on it. Now, here's the third thing. People who oppose us misrepresent us. That this is true in anything. I mean, the Republicans misrepresent the Democrats. Democrats misrepresent the Republicans. We understand that. I mean, that's part of life. But, but this is a reason we get persecuted. In Matthew 5, 11, listen to what Jesus said. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Did you hear that? Falsely on my account. Jesus was saying people are going to take what you say and twist it and lie about it. 2,000 years ago, Jesus made a statement. He goes, if you're going to follow me, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. He was not speaking literally there. He was talking about, you need to be consumed with me. You give your life to me. Then the rumor got out among the Christian haters then that Jesus was advocating cannibalism. That was not what he was advocating at all. Two weeks ago in Orlando, Florida, a horrible, horrible, horrible thing happened. A man named Omar Mateen went into a club and he killed 49 people. He was shot and killed by police. He had avowed and pledged himself to ISIS. He'd done it on Facebook. People who knew him had said he had. He called 911 while he's in the bar killing people. And he praises the leader of ISIS and he says, I'm doing this in the name of ISIS. Are you with me? Within a few days, people begin to spin that. Well, he wasn't really ISIS. Now, we live in a world today, if I tell you I'm a woman, you have to accept that. I am not a woman, I promise you. But, I'm, but now stay with me, but that's the world we live in. But a guy can call and say, I'm ISIS, I'm ISIS, I'm ISIS. Listen, I'm not, he wasn't doing that. There's a difference in Islam and radical terrorist Islam. This was a radical terrorist Islamic person. And I believe he meant what he was confessing. But that began to spin. Listen, within a week, some people were saying, no, 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 this has to do more with right wings and Christians than it does with Islam. That's a lie. That's a lie. But that's how we get persecuted. Anderson Cooper, who is a, a CNN personality, and he's a, he's a gay man. Anderson Cooper when Christians and churches began to reach out to help people and their families who'd been killed in that horrible tragedy. Chick-fil-A, who has taken strong stances in Christianity, began to give free food. Anderson Cooper was living. He said, Christians, we don't want your help. You are partially the cause of this. That's a lie. That's a misrepresentation. 
That's absolutely not the truth. Let me tell you this. I said a moment ago, there are things that Orthodox Christians say are not true and are not right. But an Orthodox Christian who believes the New Testament and holds to objective truths would never, ever, never, ever hurt nor be for hurting an adulterer, killing a fornicator, or, or killing a homosexual. We would never be for that. That's part of our objective truth. In fact, I would tell you, if, if you're for killing people that disagree with you, you are in the wrong church. Because we're going to stand for objective truth, but we're going to do it in love. We're, 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 met, we're misrepresented. Bill Maher, who I mentioned earlier, and, and Bill Maher has not been a friend of Christianity. Listen to what Bill Maher said after all this mess. Bill Maher said a few weeks ago, he said, it, it's not the Christians that are doing this. Bill Maher was defending us. He's saying, it's the radical Islamic terrorists that are doing this. I fainted. My wife had to give me CPR. I thought Jesus had come back. Bill Maher is defending Christians. He's right, but we will be misrepresented. When you take a stand for truth, people oftentimes are going to twist that. Understand, that's what's a reason you're going to get persecuted. And let me give you a fourth reason, and I think this is a pretty good one too. Sometimes we're just jerks. Do you agree with that? I love what Jesus says in in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. He says, for what credit is it if when you sin, you're beaten for it and you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it and you endure, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, let me paraphrase that. Jesus is saying, you church people, if you're getting smacked around and persecuted, Because you're judgmental and you're a hater and you're mean, you deserve it. Don't pat yourself on the back. Listen, I've been around religious people a long time, and I've seen some Pharisees, man, they're self-righteous, they're judgmental, they're condemning, and then they complain. Well, people just, you know, they, they, they don't want to be around me because they're persecuting Christians. They don't want to be around you because you're a jerk. I'm sorry, that's the truth. Sometimes we brought it on ourselves. Listen, Two pastors, a guy in California and a guy in Fort Worth. I, I hate this. They both have Baptist churches too. After the Orlando shootings, listen to what these two jerks said. One of them said, the people in that club were scum. They, they had it coming to them. Another pastor said they got what they deserve. Wow, that's terrible. You make statements like that and you got a heart like that, you deserve to be persecuted. You deserve the hate that you bring on yourself. But we're going to be persecuted for a lot of reasons. Make sure it's for the right reasons that you, that you suffer. Listen, I hope you're taking me serious today. I can't read you this morning. But I'm telling you, this is coming to America. If there's not a great revival soon. It's coming to America. So what do we do? Last thing, what, what do we do? What, what do we do when we're persecuted? You, you young ones sitting in front of me, man, how I hope there's a revival. But if, 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 it's, if it doesn't happen in our country, what, what do we do? Well, let me give you some great news here this morning. Number one, God gives us supernatural joy. Verse 22, blessed are you when people hate you 
and exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. If you're taking notes, I told you a few weeks ago, write this down. That word blessed is a great word. It means fully satisfied. It means because God indwells you, God gives you a joy which looks like happiness, a joy, a happiness, a fulfillment that it's, that's independent of circumstances that other people can't take from you. Listen, some of you are trying to get, be happy in relationships, in sex, in the bottle, in drugs, all that is temporary. God says, I want to give you a joy nothing can take from you. In the midst of suffering, I can make you happy. Isn't that great? That's what Jesus is saying. Get your life right with Christ and ask him, fill me with that blessedness, Jesus. Some of you go, well, if I just had this guy or this girl or my wife would be better or if my husband would be better, I'd get this job if I'd move. You take yourself with you everywhere you go. Get yourself squared up. Let God bless you from the inside out. Here's the second thing. Know your reward in heaven is eternal and wonderful. Man, nobody wants to suffer. But if you live to be 100 and you spend the last 70 years in prison because you're a follower of Christ, that's nothing compared to 90 billion years in heaven. Look what he says in verse 23. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Rejoice. Be happy. Skip and, and cheer. Because whatever you suffer here for Jesus, they did it to him. They did it to his followers. They did it to the Old Testament prophets. You're in line with a great group of people. And you walk into heaven, you cannot imagine how wonderful it's going to be. An old preacher named J.I. Packer said, he said, we sit around here and we go, man, I wish, I, I wish this would never end. You know, we're eating ice cream. I wish this would go on for eternity. Or we're at the beach or we're at the lake. I see on Facebook, oh, I wish we could be here forever. I understand that. J.I. Packer said, someday when we get to heaven, we're going to go, man, I wish this could go on forever. And then we're going to slap ourselves and say, it is. It's going to go on forever. Isn't that awesome? That's what Jesus is saying. You're going to suffer if you're real. But what you've got waiting for you in heaven is unbelievable. Here's the third thing. Choose joy. Now, what, what am I saying? God gives it to us. You know, you know it's coming in heaven. So you make a choice to be joyful. Verse 23, rejoice in that day. In other words, you choose joy. Jesus suffered. Those who've followed him for years have suffered. Choose joy. Read Acts 16 when you get home. Paul and Silas, for preaching the word, they're beaten they're thrown in a dungeon, and at midnight, they're down there singing and praying and partying, and they weren't drinking anything. They were full of the Spirit because they had God in the midst of all that, man. Choose joy. And here's the last thing. Stay true to Christ. I got two granddaughters in here, Bailey and Riley, and I want to tell them, you stay true to Jesus. Mom and dad, stay true to Jesus. Let me tell you for two reasons. One, for other people. Many years ago in Iran, a pastor, and being a pastor in Iran the last probably thousand years has not been a good occupation. Short career. They pulled in a village to get water. 
there was a man leaning against a wall with a machine gun, and the pastor's wife said, the Holy Spirit told me, you go give this man the Bible. He goes, I'm not going to go give that man the Bible. He will kill me. He goes in, he buys water, he comes out. His wife said, the Holy Spirit told me, go give that man this Bible. I don't know about you guys. I'd have been saying, Cindy, if the Holy Spirit's telling you, you go give the man the Bible. Amen? Because I'm a pastor. I can do your funeral if he kills you. They drive off. He says, "Uh uh-oh, the Holy Spirit's telling me, go give the man the Bible. So he pulls back up, and he's, man, you know, he's like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. He said, sir, I believe God's telling me to give you the Bible. He hand that man the Bible, and the man starts crying. Here's what he said. He said, an angel of God appeared to me. And he said, I want you to go to this village and wait. And someone's going to give you the book of life that's going to show you the Messiah. He said, I walked three days to get here. And you've given me that book that's going to show me salvation. That pastor was so energized, he went out and a few years later was killed for the Christian faith. You think in heaven he regrets that now? Man, your kids need you to man up. You college students, you young people, people are counting on you. Stand true, but stand true for yourself. I don't know about you, taking a bullet for Jesus, I I can do that. Being tortured would not be much fun, would it? Back when Russia was the old Soviet Union communist, there was a, a daddy who was arrested for teaching the Bible to his kids. He was sentenced to a year in prison in Siberia. He said, I was always a very weak person, not strong psychologically or physically, and I'd always wondered if I get arrested, I can't handle it. I can't handle it. He said, they took me to the prison. I had to stay one year. He said, it was amazing. Every day, God gave me enough strength to make that day, enough grace to make that day. And here's what he said. He goes, folks, if you're worrying about whether you can endure or not, you can endure with Jesus. He said, he may not give you the strength you need, the courage you need, the grace you need to the exact moment you need it, but... He will. Mark 10, 22 is a scary verse. Matthew 10, 22, excuse me. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Man, here's my challenge this morning. You give your life to Christ if you never have. Listen to, look at me for just a second. And you stay true to Jesus. You stay true to Jesus. Till he takes you home, till he comes back, no matter what happens, life or death, you stay true to Jesus. Let's pray. Christian, I'm going to talk to you more in a moment, challenge you in just a second. If you're not a Christian... I know I've just preached a strange story that gets you to come to Christ, but it's worth it. And if you're ready to give your life to Christ, pray with me now and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. And Jesus, I accept that you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. 
And I ask you to save me this morning. Save me, Jesus. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand, and when we do, maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus in your heart. Maybe you're ready to do that. When we stand, you come. The greatest thing you can do, you come today and give your life to Christ. We'll be down here waiting on you. Maybe you'd like to join our church today. You can do it after church, or you could come when we stand. I want to tell you, we're going to be a church that's going to stand on objective truth, but we're going to do it and pour love all over you in the process. Come join us today. Christian, maybe, maybe you're not standing too strong. Maybe right now if Christianity was illegal, you wouldn't get arrested. May, tighten it up. And I want to challenge everyone in this room who's a believer. You make a commitment, whether it's where you're standing, whether it's at the altar, on your knees, on your face or praying with a minister, make a commitment today that you are going to stay strong. You're going to stay true to Christ. Let's stand. You respond now as we sing.